Hey there, I'm Jo, and this is Looking Outside. Join me and some of the most influential and original thinkers in business and beyond as we explore fresh takes on familiar topics. Sometimes, you know, I'm really surprised when people say yes to coming on my show, <laughs> no less than today. I'm speaking with comedian, actor, all round good bloke, Monty Franklin. I didn't we'll say talk- yes, by the way. You just harassed me <laughs> to the point where I had no other choice. So we're doing the podcast, Monty? It was like five of my emails. <laughs> and then I accosted him after a comedy show. <laughs> <laughs> but look, I bought a $10 pencil. So we're even. Don't tell Australians that I sell those tiny koalas for $10. <laughs> They'll be furious at me. They'll be like, ah, that's how he makes his money. <laughs> So uh, on the show today, we're going to talk about a few different things, um, how to be a straight-talking Aussie in the States, and more on theme with this podcast, why we need to laugh now more than ever. So thank you so much for coming on the show, Monty. No worries. Thanks for having me. (laughs) No worries. Such an Aussie response. Love it. That was a good one. (laughs) Um, Let me start with asking you to share a little bit with the audience about yourself, who you are. Well, how far do you want me to go back? When you were born, right from the beginning. <laughs> remember most of that. I was born in Melbourne, Australia in 1982. I am a comedian. I grew up in Australia, obviously, and then I've lived in America for the last 10 years and I tour around America, Canada. I'm going back to Australia next month to do a bunch of uh, shows. I haven't been back in six years for stand-up. I've been back to see family but I haven't worked in about six, seven years, so I'm really looking forward to that. And um, what else do I do? I don't know. I, I, I just try and live and, and not embarrass myself in public, but I fail at the second part like quite a lot. <laughs> Isn't that kind of the role of the comedians, to embarrass no, yourself? No, you're, you're thinking of a clown or like a <laughs> mime or something. We're meant to be the voice of reason in society. We're not, mm. we're not meant to be just fodder. for. Uh, we're not court jesters. <laughs> right. Yes. So it was very deep. We're going to get into that a bit later. So I wanted to ask, so you're, you haven't been back for a while. Do you think that the comedy or the the type of humor in Australia would have changed over the last six years? Sure. But I think it's changed everywhere around the world. We all went through a very traumatic few years. So laughter and things that you laugh at often change from time to time because of the state of the world and what's happening. And to be honest, I think people now, they don't want to be told how to think. They just want to laugh at silly scenarios and just forget the, because this is the thing, if you work a nine to five job, you're in the office, a lot of people bringing up politics, talking about this, talking about that. You don't want to go to a comedy club, I don't think, and hear more of that drivel. You just want to go and, and hear some silly stories and laugh and forget about all of that crap that happens in your day-to-day. So, yeah, I think the the way that people want to consume comedy changes. It's interesting. Um, have you watched this show on Apple TV called Ted Lasso? Yeah. So that's one of the most popular TV shows around right now and I would say 10 years ago it wouldn't have been as popular because the show is all about positivity and people, nice people being nice to each other. Now, because we did go through all that traumatic thing, people, they don't really want to see 
conflict and bickering and stuff. They just want to see interesting, good stories from good people. So that's why that's so popular. So it's interesting to think right now what the world wants to consume comedy-wise and look at the bigger names of comedians that are doing really well. It's a comedian I love called Sebastian Maniscalco and he fills out stadiums because he just talks about his family and his dad and the silly things that his parents do and stuff like that. He doesn't talk about politics. So it's interesting to see everyone's perspective and what they what they kind of want to hear and, and talk about right now. And I think politics is boring too, so I just I steer clear of it. <laughs> it is boring um, and it's tricky territory in the US as well. So is a part of what you're saying there that you're, you're almost stepping on a minefield as soon as you go into the topic of politics and comedy? Well, that is the thing in, in America and probably everywhere, probably in Australia too, you're either one side or the other and for the majority of people they kind of hover in the middle and I think to polarize everything that oh you have to think this way or you have to think that way and stuff just doesn't work so I just I just steer clear of the whole thing completely and it's interesting to see people try and steer you into a lane when you were never even trying to drive so it's and they go oh well you're this type of person and I go Someone called me a Republican the other day because I live in San Diego. And I was like, what the hell's that? Because <laughs> I live somewhere, I'm, I'm a Republican. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I can't that's... even vote. I'm not a citizen. So <laughs> that's quite awful. silly. Yeah. yeah. And also, I guess, because of the, well, I'm getting into this really early, um, because of the comedians that you're associated with, do you find that people label you as well? Like you've been on the Joe Rogan show and you're friends with Rob Schneider. No, not really. No one ever labels and stuff like that. They can think a certain way if they want, but then mm. again, they're just uh, they're also attributing things that they think a certain person because they act in a certain way. Then again, oh, well, they're on that side and and they're far on that side, and they're not. And I know these people personally, and some of the perceptions that people have are vastly incorrect of some of these people, but. They're comfortable enough in themselves that they don't need to run around trying to convince everyone. They just keep living their lives. <laughs> and the people that keep barking and going, you're this, you're that, they're like. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's a little bit of an American culture thing as well, isn't it? That we, we I say <laughs> we, Americans like theatre, like they like dramatising. I would say that 99% of people don't want to do that. And I, I said before that I've, I've been to 42 states in America and performed over the last 10 years to a million Americans. I can't do maths, but a lot. And um, 99% of people that I meet everywhere are good people that just want to enjoy their lives and be good to other people. Again, back to the Ted Lasso principle. So the the small 1% that are angry and yelling and making the noise and stuff, it really is a, a vast minority. So just let them, let them yell and then know that most people are most people are good. Yeah, I believe that as well. So are you saying that one million Americans have one of these qualities? <laughs> Ten dollars a pop. You're doing all right. <laughs> I don't always sell them. I've done some bigger shows with Joe Rogan. We did a um the United Center in Chicago that, where the Bulls play. And I think that was 20,000 people. But, yeah, I wasn't selling koalas there. There's too many people. <laughs> yeah, you'd be at the door for a while. 
I think what's really refreshing as well about comedians, and I think what's often said is that you're reflecting kind of r- real life, like you're you're kind of facing into the scary part of just the, the everyday crap that we deal with, with a lot of humility. Yeah. I think the best kind of comedy is when people can relate to it and put aspects of their own life perhaps into what you're talking about. It doesn't have to be exactly the same thing, but people can relate and go, oh, I do that with the something else and then that is funny I do that so it's about relating to people in their day-to-day lives and what they're doing and then just throwing your perspective on things and making it entertaining really if you think about someone you meet out at a at a dinner party or something the most entertaining people are the ones that have good stories to tell don't really need to brag about themselves in any capacity they just kind of facilitate talking and stories and stuff like that. So I think that's the best kind of comedy. Yeah. So storytellers, but also great listeners. So do you find that like, just because of what you do when you're in a public setting, people just expect you to be on and be like, you know, the entertaining, funny one in every social context? Sometimes. And then people will say silly things like, oh, tell me a joke or, oh, be funny and stuff like that. Whereas, yeah, we're not, clowns we're not court jesters we're not joke vending machines so it's um i'm actually a very quiet person really I'm, i mean i'm loud but uh, <laughs> i kind of if i'm in a social situation will be a little bit more sit back and observe so i think the better comedians don't need to always show off and be on they sit back and observe life and then comment on it later you know mm. And so as a quiet person, were you always quiet growing up? At what point did you figure out that you like being on the stage in front of people? I come from a very funny family. My mum's very funny and my auntie's very funny. My uncle's funny. My grandma was hilarious. So I, I came from an environment growing up where you either learnt to jump in and tell the story or you just sat back and listened to the stories flow. And I think early on I I realised I wanted to try and be one of the storytellers in my family so I'd jump in and try and and get some attention for a second and then then once you get that a little bit, you're like, oh, I like that. (laughs) And then uh, I guess it just branched from there. And some of my family members could have been very, very good comedians and writers in particular. But, um, you know, their lives took them down other pathways and stuff like that. So I think I'm the only one who who took it to the, the stage and wanted the, the bright light and the microphone and the attention-seeking <laughs> <laughs> nature of a comedian. Right. But, I mean, ultimately I can imagine that's not, you know, like we're being facetious, but that's not why you do it right. So what, what do you like about making someone laugh? Well, there is something to making people forget about their troubles and know that you've made them feel a, a certain way and enjoyment and laughter and is one of the greatest things that we can experience and to do that and give someone a laugh one of some of my favorite things to do is just in day to day in regular encounters i don't know at the bank and making the bank teller laugh and then you're like you know that was fun and um, you know they had a they had a good time from that. So there's probably an element of of me building my own ego with that. But rather, more so, I'm just uh, 
I like telling stories and, and taking people to other places. I've always been fascinated with film, television, which is just another form of storytelling. Even music is another form of storytelling, you know. I thought about something interesting the other day that really all we leave on this earth is either education, something that we've learnt that we can pass on, or stories that we've heard that we can pass on. And stories come in all sorts of forms, from art to music to comedy to film to everything like that. So as opposed to being someone who's gathering up and learning and and passing on information and education, I like to think that I'm a storyteller and I pass on, you know, either comedy or or laughter or story, whatever it is. So, Yeah, and I know... um... Just jumping back to the Joe Rogan podcast for a second, you were talking about the dreaming and how you're interested in that kind of side of Aboriginal culture. And that's very much about storytelling and retaining the stories that, you know, make our cultures. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The Indigenous culture in Australia, the Aboriginal, um, the dream time and the storytelling, I was fascinated from that from a very young age. My mum wondered why I had a fascination for Indigenous art and stories and stuff like that. I made her take me to this exhibition that was in downtown Melbourne when I was like eight because I wanted to go and see the um, this uh, huge uh, Indigenous art and culture exhibit that was there. Everyone else wanted to go to the park or go watch Thomas the Tank Engine and I wanted to go and do that. But um, it's always been fascinating. And the thing to me that's fascinating about that is that's not only just storytelling about your current perspective on your life, but that is the history of the world and why this works in that way and why that flows in that direction and why the energy from there is, you know, that to me is fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit in the dreaming that feels a little bit, well, that is a little bit mythical. So are you also drawn to those stories that aren't necessarily just retellings but have kind of like a a mythical, mystical element to them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all storytelling, I think, should have an element of misty, mystical, mystery, something like that. But um, definitely, I like to think outside the perhaps parameters of, of what we perceive to be true. And that's a thing I think a lot of people fail to do sometimes and they go, well, that's that and that's the way it is. And I go, but what if it's that and it's something else and what if there's this over there? And the people that I tend to gravitate towards more often have that perspective where they are interested to hear another way of thinking about something or an interesting take on that or what if this existed or wouldn't this be cool if, you know, and uh, to not just be shut off to interesting evolution because a thousand years ago everyone was convinced without a shadow of a doubt that the earth was flat and if you questioned it they would kill you. So <laughs> we evolve as humans, as, as people on this earth and, and find new and exciting adventures of this existence that we're all part of, you know. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I mean, thank you for the plug because that's exactly what this show is all about as well as kind of not thinking about things the way necessarily that you always have and being open to different perspectives and new ideas. I can imagine that you moving to the States 
like there would have been a big pool for you to do that kind of in line with what you're saying is that you're exposed to new stories, new histories, new ideas. Was that a part of the appeal of relocation? I think so. I think I was at a point in my career and life where I was about to be very comfortable in Australia. And I knew if I didn't do this adventure, going to America now, I'll I'll never do it. So I perhaps progress that I'd made in Australia uh, right off, which was very hard to do. But I I knew that it was going to be much harder even two years down the track if I'd had lucrative radio contracts or whatever I was starting to get into. So I was lured into the idea of doing some exceptional stuff. And you can do exceptional stuff in Australia. Absolutely you can. But it's very cliche to say, but there is opportunity here in America and it does really exist. And it comes from all different directions and angles and that was uh, exciting and interesting to me and a challenge. So it was definitely alluring and um, to take an adventure and, uh, and it was a hard, hard road in the beginning, very hard. But um, you figure it out. Now I'm very grateful to myself for sticking with it and not sort of going, this is too difficult, go back to that easier path that was back home. And uh, now I've, you know, I'm about to embark on sort of a whole new adventure with uh, a movie that I'm making and some other stuff that I've got in the in the pipeline. So that's really fun and exciting. Yeah, that's super exciting. I love how you said that as well as opening yourself up to exceptional experiences and making your life more exceptional by essentially picking your life up, moving away from your family. So really challenging yourself by being quite isolated, even if you have a partner with you, it's still quite an isolating experience and kind of throwing yourself into a dark pit and seeing if you can climb out of it in many ways when you're kind of starting your career over in the US. Because not everything carries over from all of your success in Australia, right? Because Australia is, you know, small. Nothing carried over. There was no carryover. (laughs) (laughs) You mean they weren't like, oh, my God, Monty's here. (laughs) Nope, not one person. So it was very much like sort of starting from the bottom again. Mind you, I did have a particular set of skills that I had worked on (laughs) for 10 years so I wasn't a complete novice and beginner but um I was treated like a novice and a beginner which was just a kick to the ego really and um once I put that to one side and figured well if you're good enough you'll move through this beginner's rank pretty quick and uh luckily I did and moved on to bigger and better things but um for a few years there yeah really hard, really difficult. And like you said, it's very isolating. I I had family here, my sister's here. So that helped a lot. But um, the comfort of home was just a quick 16 hour flight. (laughs) But um, but luckily, I never got on that plane. I got close. I almost went to the airport one night, I remember. I was just like, I'm I'm not doing this anymore. And my sister and one of my friends sort of talked me out of it, which (laughs) that was like a big tipping point. It's like a point in a movie, you know, where you're either going that way or that way. And uh, luckily I 
listened to them and, and stuck it out. Stuck it out, yeah. And it was almost like a, about a month later that some stuff really started, you know, sort of clicking and ticking over here. So it's that age-old thing of don't give up because right around the corner is, you know, your dreams right there. Though. It's hard when you're when you're running this marathon that seems endless, and then you think you're at the finish line, and someone tells you to run back the other way, the same distance, and and then you do that three or four times, and you're like, what am I doing? And then you realise that it's not about the length of the marathon that you're running; it's just that you just got to keep running, and you got to stop perhaps sometimes and enjoy what you're doing, but you just keep running. That's all it is. Mm. Do you feel like the field that you're in, so get, like being up on stage in front of audiences and therefore critique, being an actor, all of that kind of builds a thicker skin. So you're probably more resilient in putting up with those types of challenges and ego hits than the average person. Yes, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect you and that it doesn't hurt and you're not a, a human who feels even the negative comment on your Instagram post or something. It's all still there. You still feel it, but you're probably just a bit more used to it and I can weather quite a lot. And I've spent the last sort of maybe five years really working on myself, my mental well-being and stuff like that to a point where I can handle these these ups, these downs, these swings and roundabouts of life uh, a bit better. I don't always do it well. Sometimes I yell fuck off in the car to someone who cuts you off and, you know, everyone has their moments. But I feel like I'm doing better at um, noticing when I'm up and noticing when I'm down and knowing that it is a roller coaster that goes up and down. Someone said that really great quote the other day. Who did it? I can't remember who said it. Oh, you know who it was? It was the uh, the bloke who played Elvis in the recent movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Butler. Uh, mm-hmm. It was on some interview and he said someone told him that the ups and downs in life are difficult. You're up, you're down, you're this and that. But he said if you're, if you're just on a straight path like this with no ups and downs, you're flatlining, you're, you're dead, you're not living. <laughs> yeah. Living, yeah. Is, living is going like this. So that was very interesting. So to think that, oh, I don't want the ups and downs, I just like a nice mellow, then you're not living. So to uh, know when you're in the ups and maybe enjoy them and go, hey, enjoy yourself for a second, this is good, and take a second to enjoy it and know that you will be down again. But when you're down, you just go, right, I'm I'm in it. (laughs) I won't be in it forever, but uh, just know that you're in it right now and and you'll, you'll come out. Yeah. Well, it's it's a good point too that when you're on the up, just reminding yourself that you're not going to stay. Like the expectation that you should have of yourself is that you're not going to just stay up there. Like you will have a shitty day and your well, ego will get hit. If I'm feeling really up and a lot of things are going right, I go, ooh, how long will this last? <laughs> <laughs> I go, this can't last too long. Don't get comfortable here. <laughs> Nothing will happen. <laughs> yeah. And sadly, sadly realistic. That's life, right? Yeah. Being aware of that is actually the biggest step to being okay with that, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
And so how often when you're down, do you turn to comedy and to laughter to pick yourself back up? I always, I always go back to old uh, comedy movies, really, if I need mm-hmm. to just sort of reset myself and, and just get my smile back on. I'll watch something silly like Dumb and Dumber or, you know, Ace Ventura or anything. Jim Carrey always gets me. Mm-hmm. But um, sometimes I need a break from comedy too because that is my life and it's always and then every situation is trying to find the funny or is this a, is this a bit? Can I use this? Is that a joke and stuff? <laughs> and sometimes escaping from that is invaluable to my progression to find funnier stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's hard to switch your brain off, like particularly when you're in the kind of field that you're in where you're probably like very observational of real life. Yeah. So your, your, your brain is probably constantly thinking about not just taking it in, but what does this mean? How could this be something else? Sometimes it's good. And if you're in that mode and, and it's, and you're writing new stuff and it's, and you're feeling it lately, I've been feeling a lot and picking up on things and going, oh, that's fun. That's fun. And I've been having a lot of fun with it. Other times you're banging your head against the wall going, why can't you think of anything funny? What's wrong with you? So in those moments to, yes, escape from trying too hard to make something funny or bring something to life from that's not there and just going away and coming back to it with fresh eyes and fresh perspective. I surf and I'll go on a surf trip once a year with some friends in Indonesia and we, I just did the Maldives and I don't even put my phone on. It's off for 10 days and I'm just talking absolute shit with a bunch of idiots and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect. And you have a lot of material as well, just like thinking about Australia and the difference of Australia and the US and that's a lot of your content on Instagram. If you don't follow Monty already, I'll drop it in the show notes, but that, I can imagine that that's almost like quite endless because you're constantly coming into situations in the US where there's that difference. I didn't think there would be so much. I started doing them just, oh, I thought this was funny, just saying, oh, the words are different. We use this word and, you know, we use thongs instead of flip-flops and stuff like that. So I started that, but it's just, it's endless. And people now send me ones and go, oh, you should do this and this. And I go, oh, that's a good one. So... <laughs> And there, I'm, I've lived here for 10 years. I'm married to an American girl and every day something new is, what is that? That's not what we, that's not how we say it. Even the yeah. cadence and way you say things is different. And growing up for, you know, the majority of my life in Australia, it's so ingrained in me to call that a petrol station or a servo or, or you know, all those songs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So yeah. I don't like it sometimes in America where I have to change what I would usually say in order to avoid having to explain myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or repeat what you're saying, right? Like when you say water and people kind of understand what you mean. Water. Sometimes at restaurants I get frustrated and just look at my wife and go, you're going to have to talk for me. Okay. <laughs> when I first came to the US, I was on a work call with hundreds of people and I said, oh, so-and-so is going to tell me to bugger off. And then afterwards, like bombarded with messages going, you can't say that here. It means something very different. And <laughs> stuff like that, that I, I still just kind of go like, why? Why is it like some words are just completely... I don't think it means something different. It's just we don't 
oh. <laughs> we don't care. Right. And they they go, oh, you can't say that because of this. And, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, well, whatever. What's something that you like genuinely struggle with be, being an Australian in the in the States and maybe like specifically on the West Coast because West Coast is a bit like hippie? Well, San Diego is pretty good where I live. It's it's very much like Australia, actually. You know, it's a beach town and everyone's got a different energy and a, a different pace of life, which is much more it's closer to Australia. It's not exactly the same. I do miss uh, going back home and, and just chatting with the, the nice lady at the bakery and, you know, that those kind of things. Where here I, I feel sometimes people are a bit more closed off Mind you, back in Australia, not everyone everyone's not walking around the streets saying hello to each other and stuff like that. But yeah. it just seems that there's a there's a um, an underlining familiarity in Australia that I still feel a little bit out of place here sometimes. And I'm bit I'm still a novelty most places. If I go anywhere in the middle of the country and perform, it's I forget. And then you walk into a, a supermarket and you go, uh, uh, you know, and you, you start speaking and they go, where are you from? And then you're like, oh, that's right. I'm a, I'm a novelty item. I forgot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're like cute. The cute yeah, little. It's, uh, but it's fun. Yeah. I mean, everyone, everywhere around the world loves Australians. And I think mm-hmm. we owe that to a lot of very hardworking, talented people that have come before us, particularly to America. And uh, in the entertainment industry in particular, right back from Errol Flynn through to Jeffrey Rush to Hugh Jackman and, uh, you know, Nicole Kidman and like all of those that made our name in the industry associated with hard work and good work too. So it's a testament to all the people that have that have done so well. And I feel like there's always a couple of Australians that are, just right on top of, I mean, right now, Margot Robbie and Chris Hemsworth, they're fantastic and they're great ambassadors for our country because they just seem like good people, which it's nice. And then every now and then some dickhead, usually a tennis player, (laughs) (laughs) and then we're like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're like, oh, shut up. (laughs) Stop (laughs) carrying on. Yeah, like that's not that's not the average Australian. That yeah, person is not like, representing not us. Rats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, generally speaking, we're not very egotistical. I don't know if it's egotistical to even say that out loud, but like nothing's taken that seriously. Like we care about things deeply, but we understand that life is, you know, full of weird shit and weird people and we're okay with that and yeah. I think so. I think there's a level of sometimes a level of seriousness in America that is at the forefront of everyone's perhaps facade that they're putting on. Because as soon as you break through that and break it down to silliness, I, I find most Americans willing to have a laugh and be silly, but their immediate response is to be serious and, and answer what you're talking about in a professional manner because that's what they've been told to do in their corporate environment or something whereas in Australia we don't have that as much it's it's still there and some people doing it but if you walk into a restaurant and start being silly usually the waiter or waitress is going to be silly right back and it's kind of fun but here it might take you a couple of things and they'll go what excuse me and then you have to say oh is this joking they go oh I like jokes okay (laughs) 
It's kind of like there's a little barrier beforehand, whereas in Australia, no barriers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They say that, I mean, so I work in the corporate space and it's often said that they have like multiple layers. You have to keep peeling the onion back to get to the real person. But then the real person is just like you. It's just that they've been trained to yeah. have this like very buttoned up professional. But they've been trained since they were kids. And at school, at their high school, they were trained and, oh, this is the way you act and this is the thing you do. And then at college, this is the kind of person you are and they're that kind of person. And then you live in this kind of area, so you're this kind of person. Where I do think, I feel and I hope in Australia that that doesn't exist as much and Mm -hmm. that we are more of an immediately inclusive environment to, to be in, which I don't know, maybe that isn't the case. Maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm being, I don't know, li- living in some sort of fantasy yeah, fairy cool. tale where I think everyone. <laughs> but I, I, do, I do feel like growing up when I was a teenager that men and women, guys and girls, we all mix together a lot more. And um, here there's, there perhaps is a separation in high school of, oh, that the guys do that and that's the jocks and then the mm-hmm. girls do this and they're the, the cheerleaders or whatever it is. There's all these separate groups but um yeah I, I hope that in Australia there there still is what I felt like when I grew up which was everyone and there is no labels yeah I remember going to the pub when we were 18 and there was no reason that one of the girls that we we're with wouldn't get up and do a round of drinks and stuff like that because it's just the way that it was. You're all you are. We're all here together, of course. Yeah, it's your it's your round and stuff like that. So I, I like that, and I do hope that that is that is a thing that still is existing. Maybe. Yeah, you're going to find out hopefully, and when you get back I don't to know Australia, if I'll be hanging around eighteen year olds at the pub. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, uh, you might be performing in front of them. Hopefully, they'll go and see your show. Yeah, well, this year the shows have, I've sold out the first five, so I added another five shows. So yeah, I'm, awesome. I'm doing Perth and Adelaide and Brisbane and Melbourne and Sydney, the the big five. And yeah, um, nice. yeah it should be it should be great. I'm really looking forward to going home. And, yeah, uh, I can imagine your mum's country. Your mum, your mum would be stoked to see you again. She doesn't like me, but um, yeah, <laughs> she was just here actually. But uh, yeah, oh no, nice, she's nice. excited. Well, I've told all my family and friends to go and see you, so you'll have at least like three people. <laughs> that's that's more than I initially had, so that's good. One thing that I did want to ask you, which is like a t- my, I promised a dorky question to Monty right at the start, so I'm just going to ask it at the end. Do you know what Monty means, the name? What, Montgomery? No, like Monty? what it means. Monty it's... Python? <laughs> it means mountain. Mountain? Like, yeah. It's a, it's from uh, French. It's a French name, and it means mountain, like an explorer venturing oh, really? off to the other side of the world. From, That's pretty cool. I haven't yeah. met many Monties in my life. I've met a lot of dogs called Monty, but um, <laughs> I've met a couple of uh, women called Monty actually. Oh, but um, no, I didn't know that uh, it was mountain. But I'll take that. That's pretty good. I used to because my name is Monty Franklin. I used mm. to get Mount Franklin a lot yeah. because of the water back in Australia. Yeah. And so that makes sense. Then Mount Monty, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I thought you made it up. That's why I had to look at like, What does Monty actually mean? What is this name? Uh, well, Monty, thank you so much for the conversation. I'm glad that we went to a slightly deeper place. I certainly am happy that we didn't spend the entire time doing dad jokes or something stupid like that. Oh, so. I, don't, I don't know any dad jokes. I don't know any <laughs> jokes. Terrible comedian. 
No, excellent comedian. So I do have one last question for you, and it is also a serious one, which is what your go-to is when you're trying to look outside and gain a fresh perspective. Day-to-day go-to is a, um, you know what I've been doing lately, Hmm. Uh, is watching um, TED Talks. And I know that that's no revelation for people, but just on YouTube, a 12-minute TED Talk while I'm eating my breakfast on anything is a is a new perspective and an eye opener and you usually get something very interesting and knowledgeable out of it every single one i always have a moment where i go oh that's good and that's enough so that's my day to day sort of escape from stuff but then what i said earlier and the thing that resets me is doing a surf trip once a mm. year and completely putting the phone away and I do 10 days of surfing and talking garbage with a bunch of bogans and it's fantastic. <laughs> Sounds amazing. So just quickly on the TED Talks, is that also from a like stage presence kind of training perspective that you're doing that? No, I do that because I, I like learning and I like um, listening about things that perhaps I wouldn't think about on a day-to-day basis and I just think that that's a really quick way of in your day injecting something that you wouldn't have otherwise thought to think about. Mm, yeah, I love that. Got nothing to do with the fact they're on stage because some of them I've watched uh, just with interview style stuff or whatever. Hmm, okay. No, I'm, I, sometimes I critique their stage presence if I don't <laughs> think it's good enough, but that's just me being <laughs> nitpicky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also as a storyteller, you're probably thinking about the story that they're trying to tell and whether they're being effective in doing that. I like when they do it well, but I can tell that they have, they've had massive anxiety about getting it right and that they've worked really hard to get this 12 minutes to the best speech that they can do. And I I kind of, at the end, I go, that was good. You did a really good job, but I could see how much it meant to them to do that well. Whereas when I see the people who are trained Talkers, prefer, uh, there's some comedians that have done TED Talks and I just know that their flow is obviously a lot more seasoned and trained. Yeah, and uh, it probably speaks also to the importance of maybe not over-preparation, not over-preparing, just being a little bit spontaneous like we have been on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but if you're not used to that, that's terrifying to think, right. oh, I meant to be spontaneous. So you're better off maybe being prepared, but just know that you're – actual reactions, your actual self and stuff is far more interesting than something that you could craft or script. And that's why being yourself is such a big thing for stage presence. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. And you can tell Monty that you're definitely yourself, a good Aussie bloke, as I promised at the start of the show. That's right. So thank you so much uh, again for taking the time saying yes, but not really saying yes, just coming on. I said um, yes, didn't I? I was only <laughs> You did. You did. And I held you to it. So thank you. Thank you so much for the chat. I really enjoyed it. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review or share the show. And I will see you next time. Until then, keep looking outside. <laughs>